Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. The title of this morning's message, part of our series, Be the Church. And we're talking about the body of Christ this morning. Be the church, the body of Christ. But let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we praise you. Jesus, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. God, we open our ears to hear your word. God, I pray that I'd speak only what you want me to speak. God, anoint me, Lord, uh, that I just give you glory today. It's be all about you, Lord, not about me, not about Sanctuary Family Worship Center, not about, Lord, uh, this series, but God, about Jesus Christ, him crucified, him sitting at the right hand of the throne and coming back, Lord, to uh, bring home his glorious church, the bride, the saints of God, the family of God, the people of God, Lord, and his body. And we welcome you, Lord, this morning to be among us and let us go out from this place, changed, transformed, renewed. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. I'm reading in the New American Standard this morning. For by one spirit we were all baptized into, everybody say, one body. One body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the body of Christ? Uh, You know, the church is the largest and most powerful nation in the world. Yet when you uh, think of it sometimes as an individual or sometimes as a local church, uh, when we see the things happening around the world, we see trials and tribulations in our lives, uh, you don't always feel that way. You don't always feel like, ugh, we got this, we're winning. You know, you kind of feel, sometimes you re- watch the news too much, you really feel like we're losing, don't you? I mean, you kind of get this pessimistic spirit and, oh my gosh, you know, this country's just uh, on its way to, to the down there place, you know? And, and, and there, wh- what hope is there? I want to talk to you today. Don't underestimate the body of Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate the power of God and what God has done and is doing in His body. And uh, we should uh, never underestimate even individuals as members in the body of Christ. Or never underestimate what an individual nor a local church can do. Let me give you an example of how we shouldn't underestimate even the individual Christian or the local Christian or the local church. Because there's some awesome things just about the individual members of your body. give you an example. This is from a, uh, a website uh, online that this is kind of pulled off this week. Uh, did you know that your stomach is full of digestive acid, which is strong enough to melt metal? And the only reason that you don't die is that your stomach produces a membrane that renews itself so quickly every three days that it keeps it from eating you away. Isn't that pretty crazy? Your stomach is that powerful? All right, look at this. Your lungs contain approximately 1,500 miles of airways. So it stretch across the United States. It's spun out. Uh, in your lifetime, this is a little gross, ladies, but in your lifetime, your mouth will produce enough saliva to fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools. <laughs> thought that was interesting. That's a kind of a powerful thing you think about it, right? Your eye can distinguish between several million colors. Your ears between a half a million sounds. Your nose, latest studies just this last year, have discovered that your nose can distinguish between one trillion different odors. My wife put up that number because anytime we walk into the house, I'm like, what's that? 
I smell the dog or I smell the kid or I smell the trash or something. One of those sensitive nose. I can't, my house has got to have that Febreze pumping all the time, right? Uh, but it's amazing what individual members of your body can do. And uh, just as every member in the body has a unique purpose and ability, man, they're powerful in themselves even, so does each member of the body of Christ have a unique purpose and power and ability. But you should not un- un- uh, sorry, we should not underestimate nor forget the responsibility and the power of being His church, of being individually members of the body of Christ and together one church. What happens when we forget what it means to be the body of Christ? In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where our text is this morning, uh, Paul was writing to a dysfunctional church. Uh, in this dysfunctional church, there were some unhealthy members, uh, and they had a lot of self-centeredness. And I'll just give you an example. They had uh, worship that was chaotic, uh, there was just a, a chaos of worship. It was very self-centered, and they were uh, very very vocal. Some individuals were very vocal in overcoming and overtaking the order of worship. Uh, there was rich was against the poor, and they wouldn't eat together. And they were uh, some they would had separate tables that they would eat at because there was class division and religious division in their church. Uh, there were serious sin issues. I mean, serious, really bad sin issues. Now every sin is bad, but some really serious stuff that was affecting the reputation of the church. Uh, And so Paul writes to remind them of what it really means to be the body of Christ, what this awesome responsibility that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, put on a human body, but in in doing a human thing and putting on this human body, dying on this earthly cross, made this awesome spiritual body. And it's an awesome responsibility to think when I picture Jesus up on the cross that one of us is his toe and one of us is his knee and one of us is his hand, that we are actually his body and he's the head. That's an awesome thing to say that God has made you part of him and together we're one. Okay, this morning, uh, look at first Corinthians chapter six, verse 15. Just flip back a couple chapters and keep your hand there in first Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to talk this morning uh, and our, our main premise of today is that the body of Christ are those who have united together in God's love and not only receive His personality, His purpose, and His power, but they exercise them in faith. I'm going to say that again because I think I got it on the screen. The body of Christ are those who have united together, one, in God's love, and we've uh, received and put on this personality of Christ, this purpose of Christ, the power of Christ, but then we have to exercise them in faith. We're talking about uh, personality uh, and purpose and power today, kind of three Ps. But the body of Christ, what is it? Who is it? What does it mean to be? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Every true Christian is a member of the body of Christ. That's just the way it comes. Every Christian is a member of a body of Christ. But really, we've got to start off from the very beginning because we need to be doubly sure who is a real Christian. In Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's asked his church, he says, Hey, did you not receive the Holy Spirit by faith? Uh, did you receive it by doing works of the flesh? Did you receive it, uh, the Holy Spirit, when you... Uh, uh, did this also this religious stuff or did it when you just simply believed in Jesus Christ, you wholeheartedly repented of your sin, which means, hey, I turned from living from my own way. Uh, I uh, knelt down at his feet and I said, Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior, my friend. I gave up my own way of thinking, my own way of living, my own way of doing. 
and I said, God, I want to follow you. Just like that prodigal son had to leave the slop of the world, run back to his father. And by faith, believing that Jesus Christ has died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is coming back, and he all of his blood atoned for my sin. There's no more works I can do. There's no more uh, energy I can put into giving myself holy or righteous that simply the blood saves me from sin. How many with me? Amen? Anybody there today? Okay. The Holy Spirit fills you. Romans chapter 10 verse... Uh, I can't remember the verse right now, but Romans chapter 10 tells us that the Holy Spirit now lives within us when we are saved. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. He, he fills us. He renews us, gives us a new way of thinking uh, and enables us to live victorious over sin. So our Romans chapter 8 verse 10. And we get this eternal life. That's how you can be sure if you're the body of Christ. Right there from the very beginning. But, you know, I think... Uh, especially here in the Bible Belt, we kind of, okay, yeah, Pastor Heath, I know there's the, the cross and the blood and, and we're born again, the Holy Spirit's in us. But, you know, we can go through this church stuff all the time and never really understand what it means to be the body of Christ. Let me give you an example of why we need to understand this. Think of your brain, all right, this morning. There's a brain and a, there's a head and there's a body in the body of Christ. Who's the head? Somebody. Jesus. Okay, the Jesus is the head. And in your, your mind, your head, you have a brain. And this is some facts for you this morning. You know, the human brain is the most advanced technology today. Even with all of our computers and hardware, we can't comprehend nor even have... Um, I took neuroscience in college. And they don't even have a clue really how it works and why it works. They just know if I take this part out of your brain, then you stop looking this way or you stop acting this way. They don't know why or how it works. We can't replicate the brain. It's the most advanced technology in the world, the brain. God made it, all right? Uh, some of us are a little less advanced than others, maybe here, you know, <laughs> nobody point fingers, right? But it's the most advanced technology. It has over 86 to 100 billion neurons. And each of those neurons has either 1000 to 10,000 synapses, those things that jump and make these electrical sparks over each neuron. Your brain can process again. Some of y'all might be slower than others, but your brain can process information up to 268 miles per hour. Like I said, I don't know if all of us are there yet, but 268 and you on the road, you're definitely sure that you're the person in front of you is not processing things that fast. But your brain could power a 10 to 25 watt LED light bulb. Isn't that kind of cool? You know that there are 100,000 chemical reactions in your brain every second. And your brain not only thinks and controls your muscles, it controls your emotions. Your brain stem behind your head, uh, behind your head controls millions of messages that keep you breathing, digesting food, circulating blood, and more, all while you're sitting here right now. Your brain is processing millions of information. You need a head. And in the body of Christ, we need Jesus. We need the head, the one who sees the big picture, who knows all the different things. He knows why he made you, how he made you, what he made you for. He knows how to save your soul. He knows how to provide for your needs. He knows how to uh, engineer your personality. He knows how to remake you from the inside out. He knows how to change you in ways you never even thought possible. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every hair in your nose. He knows everything about you, right? And he knows what's best for you. And the Bible talks about Jesus being the head. Uh, and Paul talks about Jesus being the head. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he says it this way. He says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. You know your head... When it says someone is the head of someone else, a lot of times we think that to mean, hey, that person's in charge or they're the boss. 
When you think about this analogy, though, of the, of the body, when you think about Jesus being your head, when you say, God, I, I submit my life to you, yeah, He becomes Lord, He becomes your boss, He becomes the authority in your life, but also, you know, your brain is concerned with the health of your whole being. Your, your brain is concerned with it. Every part works. It's concerned that uh, it's connected to you. It's one with you. And the brain is not saying, well, I don't care about my arm today. I'll just turn it off. You know, it doesn't work that way. He is concerned about every member, every part. And God is likewise concerned about your entire life. He's concerned about your finances. He's concerned about your marriage. He's concerned about your emotional state. He's concerned about how you treat your children. He's concerned about what tomorrow holds, what your 10-year plan holds. God has got everything in your life in order. He knows it. He's got it mapped out. And while you're sitting here today, He's making sure your house isn't on fire. While you're here today, He's making sure that everything in your life is working. That He is, I mean, this is how sovereign God is. Millions of thoughts, millions of things. While there is demons outside of this place right now trying to get in, there's angels. He's got stationed just to keep them away. There's things, every red light you go through, God is right there in the passenger seat with you. I mean, you think about this stuff. He's the head. He's the firstborn. He's the first. And how important for us as individuals, as members, that we say, God, I recognize you. I trust you. You say, when I leave my life to Christ and I give myself up to him, uh, say if I'm like the stomach, okay, I have to trust the brain to tell me how to process the food, when to process it, when to let it go, and all of that. So you and I have to say, God, when I, when I give my life to you, it's not just say, oh, I've got to live up all this fun stuff, and God, you're the boss now. But by doing all that, say, God, I give it to you. You know what you're doing? You're saying, I trust the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. I trust him with my finances. I trust him with my emotions. I trust him with my future. I trust him with my tomorrow, my yesterday, and forever. I give it all up. Somebody with me? Amen? Yeah, all right. He's the head. He's the firstborn. You're his body. So when you become a Christian, our life flows from the head. We discover who we are while we're here. We discover what we're meant to do. You know, uh, Tyler goes to the university campus, uh, our missionary guest this morning. And, you know, he didn't have a he didn't he had his own plan for his life. But when God shows up, God says, no, wait, I had another plan from you from the very beginning. Same thing for me. My plan on the university campus was to go be a psychologist, get my Ph.D., go make my six-figure salary and do whatever I wanted to do. But God says, no, I engineered you this way. Things I, he put in me I didn't even know I had. Calling he had in me I didn't even know was there. But when we submit to Christ, we trust he's the head. Somebody say amen. amen. He's the head. All right. He's got my best interest in mind. And so I tr- we trust the one who truly loves us. Can you imagine this? I'll give you an example. If you're... Right leg no longer trusted your brain. Just all of a sudden, you know, we just decide, and that we have disorders for this kind of stuff, right? We, you know, people get Parkinson's disease today and things like that, Huntington's. But if your right leg just said, you know, I'm just going to go this way, or I'm going to go, you know, but you're, you're saying, my brain's saying, Heath, we're going to walk that way. But then my, my right leg is like, and I'm trying to go like this, and my right leg is going that way. I mean, that is what it's like when you do not listen to the voice of God. He's like, I've got a best plan for you. And you're like, but God, I'm, I want to go over. I can't do the splits, but you know, like, and especially in these pants, you know, but it's like, you know, all of a sudden your, your left arm just starts doing one of these things. And, and God's like, stop it. You know, he's just kind of over here like, listen to me. 
I've got your best interest in mind. I died on the cross to make you one with me. I went to the grave to make you one with me. I sit on the right hand of the Father so that I can keep your whole life, your eternity in order. So I can get you to the very end that you can say, I ran the race, I finished the course, and there's up in heaven a crown of righteousness laid up for me, Miss Georgia, that God has been with me from beginning to end. I'm just following along the head. Amen? But sometimes we get a little bit stubborn. We say, God, but I want to do this. God, I'm just a part of this. God, I'll, but I got this on my mind. I got this on my plate. I got this thing that I'm doing. But what if we just say, God, I trust you being the boss. I trust you, God, telling me if my emotions aren't right. Telling me if my finances aren't right. God, telling me if my, my priorities are out of order. And there are three things we need real quick this morning that we need if we are going to be the body of Christ. Yeah, we can be saved. But sometimes I wonder if, if, if we just get this religiosity of being saved, we don't get the whole concept of what it means to be the body of Christ. Because three things we need. Number one is His personality. If you're the body of Christ, you've got to have His personality. How weird would it be if, if you're sitting there talking, have a conversation with someone, and your body just starts doing something different? Uh, we have to reflect the nature of the head. We have to, as the body, follow in line with what the head is speaking, doing, and thinking. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says it like this, and I'm paraphrasing this morning. He says, hey guys, you know, we were once walking in sin, but now we have to put them all aside and put on the new self who is renewed to a true knowledge, a true head knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we put on things of his personality. He goes on in verse 12. He says, hey, we've got to put on things like a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You know what? I am not a naturally patient person. Ask my wife, ask, ask our staff. I mean, I, just there's, I don't stay still very long. I've got to keep moving. And, and I have to consciously remind myself, put off impatience, put on Jesus' patience. God has provided for you by being His body. You are connected to the head. Uh, he has provided for you His personality. He's provided for you the nature, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that would come in your life, fill you, to reflect His nature. There's an author, he wrote this about independent Christians, however. He said, you know, yet many Christians today have been infected with the most virulent virus of modern American life. It's called radical individualism. They concentrate, concentrate on personal obedience to Christ as if all that's what matters is Jesus and me. But in doing so, they miss the point. For Christianity is not a solitary belief system. Uh, we come to the altars, we come to church, we, we really are focusing on me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. Or, or it's all about me, or here's my problems, here's my issues. But God's personality is one that He said, I died, gave up my life to make my body whole. How much of my personality is reflected in that? That my life is centered around dying for other people. Jesus is the most selfless person. He's the most sacrificial person. And His body has to reflect His nature, right? Your body has to do what your head is saying. And so us today, He's saying, you've got to get my personality. Paul says, you've got to get the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. You know, uh, think about Christ died to give this life to the church. He was broken to make her whole. He removed every religious, racial, and ethnic division. 
to bring all people together as one church. And even Jesus, when he died, right before he's going to the cross in John chapter 17, he, what does he pray to the Father? He says, you know, Father, I, I pray that they would all be one, just like I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us. That's a radical picture. That Jesus is God on the earth and God is God the Father up in heaven and they're one, right? That he's saying, I want my church to be like that. I'm, I'm sacrificing my plan, my personality. He's sacrificing being up in heaven, sitting up there at the table and eating the good life and worshiped by the angels. And he leaves it all. And he comes down there to say, I want all of y'all to be like this, to be, to be one. I want you to have what I have. That we have Christ's personality. What if, what if we just became the most selfless people on the face of the earth? Isn't that what we're called to? That what does American TV and what does the nation think about the church? You know, the reputation right now in political scene is that we're a bunch of uh, bigoted, haters, uh, selfish, uh, racial people. But what if our reputation became we are not lovers of self or pleasure, but we're lovers of God? We're people who put on hearts of humility and sacrifice that we're, we're, you know, letting people go in front of us in line. We're opening the door for people. We're giving our money to the poor. We're out there in the soup kitchens. We're out there giving the clothes off our back to people. We're caring about the orphans, those in sex trafficking. We care about those around the world that they say we're building water wells. We're putting houses in for impoverished people that when you see a church in an environment, in a community, you know that that place is making a difference, making that community better. That's the reputation of Jesus Christ. And that we have an eternal impact on this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Look there with me. His personality. Going through this real quick here. Paul says, if, in New Living says, If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that not make it any less part of the body? And if the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? Or if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? This radical individualism in America uh, reminds me of Mr. Potato Head here. I have with me this morning our guest speaker after Tyler and my, my daughter's toy. Uh, and uh, I'll give you another example. Is It's kind of like we want to be, okay, here's church. Church is going on. Uh, you know, and we realize, oh, yeah, Christ's personality is such that he loves the church. He sacrificed for the church. He gave up his life to build the church. His his number one love in all of the world is the church. You know, God loves the whole world, but he's willing to send it to hell. Right. But it's the church that is saved. Right. Because it's those that respond to the call of his love. Right. OK. But then we want to say, well, you know, it's just church. It's just Sunday. It's just being a part. You know, the pastor's always asking for money or they're always asking for volunteers or, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's a bunch of hypocrites in there. All kinds of things. It's like we're this hand over here. And, and while that Mr. Potato Head can exist without a hand, this hand over here can't exist without Mr. Potato Head, right? Or how many people... Uh, Growing up, used to watch that old black and white cartoon about the Adams family. You know, there was a little thing called Thing. You remember this? It was a hand without a body. It just ran around and, and did whatever it wanted to do. And I think sometimes that's how we are as individual Christians in the church. It's like, I'm over here, God. I, I love, I'm glad that I'm a part of the church. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the hand of the church. But I'm not really connected to it, right? I exist as the church. I'm, I'm, I am the hand of the church. But I'm not really attached to it. Anybody with me this morning? 
preaching Miss George's Sunday school, I'm sure. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't get it. How can you just be fine with, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but you don't love the church because that's what Jesus died to build. It gets on, as a pastor, one of the things I love the most in this world is the church. That's what God put in me to love His people. That's the personality of Jesus Christ that, man, in this room, look, look to your right and to your left. Look across the aisle. You guys, y'all family. You love one another, right? That's the church. You're connected together, right? And so, number one, get his personality. It's the mind of Christ. We, we can't just be the hand. And I'll tell you this, you cannot survive apart from Christ, and you cannot survive apart from his church. They're, connect, they're connected. Christ and the church are together. So someone who tells me, well, I don't really need the church. I can be Christian on my own. No, you can't. That's a lie. I just be real honest with you. It's a bold-faced lie from the devil and the flesh. Because Jesus says the head's connected to the body. And there's no part of the body that's not connected. See how all that works? It's, it's one body. And so uh, you cannot be a Christian apart from Christ. And you cannot be a Christian apart from the church. They are one. Amen? Okay, let's just settle that debate once and for all. Christ is not schizophrenic. He's not divided. He's not double-minded. There's but one body in Christ. You belong to Him. You belong to one another. Otherwise, you don't belong at all. Amen. You can't belong to Christ and not belong to His church, and you can't belong to His church and not belong to Christ. There can be people that come into this room and sit in this service and not be the church because they don't belong to Christ. Amen? It doesn't matter about sitting in these pews. It's about who you belong to. You belong to Him and you belong to one another. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, that's His personality. Christ died from the church. He's provided for you His personality in the cross and the Holy Spirit. Number two, His purpose. He has provided for you, not your purpose, but His purpose. This world today is all about self-help and self-image and, and all these things about what you want to do, your American dream, which is great in respect and in submission to the Word of God. Christ provided for you not just your goals in life, not just your retirement, not just your, your plan. He provided for you His purpose, His plan for your life. Let me give you an example. Uh, Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, that the Apostle Paul knew his purpose. He said, for this purpose I work, and he prayed that his church would grow up to the mature picture of Christ. Paul knew that, man, when I got saved, there was something in me. Like when the Holy Spirit baptized me when I was 17 and he put me on that university campus and he called me into ministry, I knew there was something in my heart that God had put in me that was not for me, that was not my original idea. It was his. It was birthed out of that communion with him. And Paul, likewise, he says, man, I work, I labor, I toil, I pray just for the church. That he's like, my goal, my purpose is to build up the body of Christ. That was, he was an apostle. That's what his purpose was. And, and us today, you and I have this awesome purpose. Uh, but I think some of us, I hear these excuses in my you know, nine plus years of ministry. It's like, oh, I don't have any gifts or talents. Ah, you know, pastor, I can't speak in front of people. I'm not good with kids. I can't sing. I don't have much money. Or here's the worst ones. I don't have time to serve right now. Or, oh, they don't need me. Ooh, that's my least favorite. Oh, they don't need me. Everything is good. They don't, they don't, there's not, you know, they got it. You have a God-given divine purpose given to you by Jesus Christ. 
as you are a part of his body. There is no part of your body in this place, in your, your body right now that has no purpose. We like to joke on the appendix that uh, nobody knows what it does. And Francis Chan had a quote uh, years ago. He talked about how some of us in the body of Christ without the purpose, like the appendix, uh, nobody knows really what it does until it gets sick and explodes and tries to kill us all. You know, it's like there's that one member of the body of Christ that you that you don't know what they do, but they're always in the pastor's office or they're dragging everybody down with them or or uh, they everybody knows when they're not sick, they're sick and doing it. But you don't know if they give or they serve or they worship or they pray or they evangelize. You just know when they're sick. Right. And there might be too many appendixes in the body of Christ today. And we need to figure out our purpose and say, God, what am I called to do? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, he says, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. God has put you where he wants you. He puts you, Chris, in that truck for a reason. I don't know why, but we talk about it a lot. Right. Uh, he put every person on this stage for a purpose. He put our ushers and greeters for a purpose. He put a pastor here for a purpose. Our uh, Miss Evelyn in this church for a purpose. God put every part where he wants to give you exactly what you need to do the job he's called you to do. But he says in verse 19, how strange would it be if a body had only one part? In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important, verse 22, are actually the most necessary. I appreciate uh, ladies like Miss Lou. She's over here. Miss Lou uh, and, and Miss Lovey, sometimes they, they do the bulletins in the back of the pews. Our, our, nobody probably even notices most of the time, but every Sunday night, those things are going to be straightened in order. That's a needed part of our body of Christ. So water, she waters the uh, little plants out here that uh, I would totally forget about and they would die. You know, uh, there's, it, it could be the most smallest thing, but it's necessary to be the body of Christ. Appreciate Joe, wherever Joe... Uh, Bink just went. He's got a reputation going around town praying for people, representing our church. I appreciate that. That's a part of the body of Christ. We've got Sunday school teachers and kids workers and guys up in the sound booth right now uh, that, you know, they only get the head turns when something doesn't work, you know, but it's part of being the body of Christ. Make sure the mic's working. He puts the record for our website. Every person, the people that clean and, uh, you know, little things, little things, people that pick up the trash on the way in that, People throw out in the road. You know, they're, I see uh, Ed, wherever Ed, there's Ed right there. The other day, he, I don't think it was even his day to mow the yard, but I saw him after men's ministry go get a bag of uh, a trash bag and go up and down the road and pick up the trash. You know, that's a beautiful part of being the body of Christ. It takes every part doing its purpose. And I look at this beautiful thing that Christ died to make, and God has given you talents each person in this place has talents at birth. Some of you are good at music and art and mechanics. Some of you are good at speaking or writing or, or listening. Some of you are computer-minded or cooking or sewing. Some of you, like me, are OCD and organizing. I don't know. Uh, some of you are good at landscaping. Whatever it may be, God gets, put that in you for a, re- a reason, a purpose. you got passions. Some of you have godly things that stir your heart for the poor or the, the outcast. Some of you have passions for our kids and our youth. Things that move you, God put that in you for a reason. God, some of you have skills. You've got education or hobbies. You've gone to trade school, life experiences. Good things and bad things you've experienced in your life make you who God's called you to be. You use those past things to tell your testimony. You go through that, you've been through that divorce, so you've gone through that child walking away from God. Those things help you to minister to somebody else. God's got a purpose in those bad things. Somebody say amen. 
God's got a purpose in your life. God has also put in your life not only talents and passions and skills, but gifts. He's given you a set of special abilities that come from the very throne room of heaven to share His love. Some of you uh, know that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans, uh, Paul lists all kinds of gifts. He says, guys, there's some people that are apostles and prophets, you know, missionaries and pastors and evangelists, but there are people who just, God has put the gift of helps. They're just really good at helping people. There's people who've got the gift of administration, the gift of leadership. There are people who have gifts of mercy, of teaching. Uh, there are gifts of serving. There are gifts even of giving. I know uh, a person up in uh, Columbia, Missouri, one of our dear friends, that she just loves to make things and give cards to people and make things crafts. She's really crafty. Pinteresty, I think is the new word now, right? Uh, loves that stuff and just does stuff. There, she's always making props and crafts for our kids' church. And uh, anytime we have a birthday party, she's just like, oh, yeah, help, let me help you. Uh, some people just have a gift for being helpful in the creative crafts. Some people are good at drama and music. God put those things in you, and some of those are spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not just speaking in tongues and prophesying. Spiritual gifts can be things like that, that God just made you a really friendly person who can give good hugs. That's a good gift, by the way, you know? Someone who's just an encourager, an exhorter. Uh, You just know those people that you just love to be around because they make you laugh and they smile, you know? God puts you in the body of Christ to be just that. There's only one of you. There's only one John Smith, you know? And he's rolling his eyes. Thank the Lord. No, not really. I love him, you know? There's only one Bubba. There's only one Shanna. There's only one Jimmy King. There's only one Mike Kennedy. There's only one to be in this body, in this day, in this hour, to be just you. God put that Holy Spirit in you to make you you. You need His purpose. Number three, I'm wrapping up after this. He needs, you need His power. He has provided not only His personality in the cross and the Holy Spirit, He's not only provided His purpose in the cross and through the Holy Spirit, He provided, man, this awesome power. His awesome power. How can you... I look at all this stuff and say, God, you know, I, I come to this job, and I say job just because, so you would understand, this calling. I realize every, every week, I cannot do this thing called pastoring. That... that I, Heath Harris does not have the ability to speak in front of you right now. I do not have the ability to handle all the complex problems that come across my desk or my office or my email of all the tragedies that go on and all the trials and the deaths. I don't have any of that. I can't do anything to help you. But God has provided, when you live out His purpose, when you allow His personality to fill you, He's going to give you His power to do the job He's called you to do. Uh, all the power you need has already been provided to do what God's called you to do. Uh, his power. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul said, when he says, man, this purpose I labor, because he says, but it was the Holy Spirit who worked mightily within me. You see, we can't do anything without the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't have a single church service without the power of the Holy Spirit being in this room. You can't go out of this place and be married, healthily married, without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't raise your kids without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't be an usher or door greeter at this church, Lord willing, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're starting to celebrate recovery in a a few weeks. We can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we know, says with the Holy Spirit, the power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power to be my witnesses. Uh, you'll receive that power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The early church, they were, 
baptized and continually filled with the Holy Spirit to accomplish these great works of God. But i tell you what, it wasn't just that the Holy Spirit came down, and here's what we get into in, in, in Pentecostal churches, charismatic, charismatic churches like ours, right? Uh, spirit-filled churches, whatever determination, whatever, whatever label you want to put on it. We believe in the fullness of the Spirit. Sometimes we get into this mode where like, yeah, God, give me, give me, give me. I need the power, 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 right? Uh, but then we soak it up and we just, we're just like this, we got it all in, right? It's like one of those weightlifters taking all these protein shakes and all this stuff, but they never work out with it. Like, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Anderson knows what I'm talking about. They, these guys, like, I have some good friends. They drink these protein shakes, these protein powder. Like, like, they just eat it like soup, you know. They just fill up in all this energy and all this testosterone and this protein. But what would happen if you just took all this stuff in and eat all these carbs and all this stuff, but you never did anything to work out and to build the muscles, right? It would, it would do some damage to your body. Sometimes it's like that. Uh, the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about this, about walking and living in the Spirit. You don't just get baptized in the Spirit. You don't just get filled with the Spirit. But you've got to walk in the Spirit. It doesn't just, it's not just for us. It's for the world, church. God made you the body of Christ to be His visible representation in this world right now as if He was here so that Christ can be at every place that you and I live around the world, the global church, that Christ says, my hands and feet are touching the globe. And so it's not just about filling the church to fill the church. It's about filling the church so they can go out and power the world. And the power of the Holy Spirit, they go out. And so think of it like this. When he says walk in the Spirit, uh, think about when you, when you were born. You didn't have the ability to walk or ride a bike, uh, but it was in your head. You know, uh, I've got a little two-year-old girl. Tyler's got a couple, uh, one on the way, little one. They're learning how to walk. John, uh, uh, Jubilee's learning how to walk right now. It's in their minds. You ever notice this? It's like these little kids, they know they want their foot to go in front. They know they want to get there, but they don't know how to do it. The muscles in the brain aren't, aren't kind of sinking just yet, right? I think that's how I feel as a church sometimes. I feel like from heaven, heaven's saying, yeah, revival, let's go, 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 go. And, the, and we're like these little toddlers, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to do that. But when you ride a bike, uh, our, you know, in Louisiana, we don't have paved roads all the time. I remember my dad, when we were in Arkansas, he had learned to ride the bike in the gravel. It was a little harder. I don't know what I'm talking about this morning, but that's what came to my mind. So he's holding on to me, right? And, he, and I, you, your brain conceptualized it, but it took some time for you to get your muscles and your brain connected so that now when you walk or perhaps with some of you ride a bike, I don't know, uh, you don't even think about it. It just happens because you've what? You've practiced it and you've exercised it. I think we need to rely on the Holy Spirit to not only give us a new nature and new power, but we've got to start now as the body of Christ in this season, in this day, to start practicing how to live in it. Amen. You know, I had to practice prayer. My, my campus pastor actually challenged me to pray 30 minutes a day. I never prayed more than five minutes a day in my entire life. Grew up in the Assemblies of God, agey kid, good kid. 19, 20 years old, never prayed more than five minutes at a time in my life. Uh, and he said, pray 30 minutes a day. I'm like, ooh, how do you do that? That's impossible, Pastor. That's only for pastors and evangelists and those people that speak in tongues crazy and flop on the floor. You know, like that. That's that weird stuff, right? I took him up on it. I took the challenge because I was a college kid. You give me a challenge, I'm going to do it, you know? Uh, 
And we began to do it. My small group and I, my, my roommates, we began to pray 30 minutes a day. And then the next campus pastor, uh, we went to a, a conference and uh, a guy by the name of Dale Crawl said, pray an hour a day. I'm like, well, I did 30, okay, do it. But it took practice. The first time I did it was horrible. You know, like, uh, I, you know, speaking in tongues, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and it was like, check, move on. But it, I didn't ever pray in tongues for a whole year. Before I got, when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it took me laboring in prayer, practicing to pray in tongues in my quiet time before God. Uh, uh, it, it just allowed the Holy Spirit to come over me, uh, preaching and teaching. I'll go back and listen to my first sermons. They were awful. I feel sorry for the church. I really do. And I'll probably in 10 years feel sorry for you here today. Uh, because you have to practice in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Right? You've got to allow Him to do something in your life. You've got to exercise the gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it says, We've got these gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. You know, uh, I'm one of those people who think only crazy people exercise. You know, I really I thank God for a quick metabolism, and I'm learning to thank Him more and more every day as it slows down. Uh, but we've got to exercise. We've got to use those gifts by faith. You know, I had a pastor once tell me, he says, you'll never see a blind person healed till you pray for a blind person. You'll never see a convert saved till you talk to a sinner. You'll never see God do mighty things in your finances till you give all of your finances to God. You'll never see God move mountains in your life until you come against a mountain. Right? You've got to learn how to exercise the things God has put in you. And some of you have so much talent, so much purpose, so many good things about you, yet we've yet to exercise them. We've got to take that leap of faith. You'll never walk on water, Peter, until you jump out of a boat. You've got to take the leap and let God's power show up in your life. Speak to that person next time the Holy Spirit prompts you at a restaurant or in Walmart. Pray in an awkward position, in an awkward time when it doesn't, it's like, we're having a family event, you know, and let's pray as a family. Things like that, you've got to practice them. God's not just going to show up in your life one day and just make you this awesome Christian. Just boom, there it is. It's going to be these little steps along the way where God just begins to grow you step by step. And I tell you, I've had more failures, I think, than successes. Things where I've missed the mark of God, but He's gracious. He's patient. And His power is sufficient to fill you. Somebody say amen. 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 And I close with this. Be the church, the body of Christ. What happens, though, if you don't do your part? Some of you are here today half falling asleep. No, not really. You you wake up in the morning or you sit cross-legged or you whatever, and your, your limb falls asleep, right? Anybody? We all have had this happen before. Your arm falls asleep, your leg falls asleep. You try to get up, you fall down, you can't walk. You know why that happens? It's because you're sitting in such a way that the blood is restricted to your arm or that vessel, that finger, and the nerves are not getting the signals from the brain. It pinches your nerves and it pinches the vessels. You're not getting a signal from the brain and you're not getting the blood supply. And that, that right there, it pinches and you lose mobility. And I think sometimes that's how we are as the church. We're not getting the full supply of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not receiving all the signals because we're stuck in a position for so long without moving that God's power, His direction, 
His flow is not coming through us. Some of us have been stuck sitting on a pew, being the Christian we're going to be for so many years. You know what happens? The whole body suffers when that arm can't wake up in the morning. You're trying to drive. You can't do it, you know, or whatever. Hey, you know what? Your whole body goes on. You'll, you'll get through your day. But the whole body does suffer. You know what happens? Eventually, if that arm never wakes back up, if that arm that's once asleep starts to die, what happens? We've got to get it amputated before that death and that disease spreads all across the entire body. Read John 15. Christ prunes those dead branches. I'm challenging this morning to start moving. Get up and start moving for Jesus. He is coming soon. And when you begin to move, the blood supply is going to begin to flow. The head and its signals, the, Jesus Christ is going to begin to speak words into your life. He's going to begin to direct you. He's going to begin to fill you like you've never been filled before. Because His personality has been provided for. His purpose has been provided for. And all of His power has been provided for in the cross. He has made you His body. He died to make you whole. Somebody say amen. amen. But we've got to keep moving. Amen? amen? Worship team, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, we've got to wake up. We are a living extension of Jesus Christ. His hands, His feet around the world. Never underestimate being the church. The visible representation of Jesus Christ is still here today in you. I'm going to ask you this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.